Hey, welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. My guest today is an internationally renowned medium and author of I'm Not Dead, I'm Different, and her latest book, Everything You Wanted to Know About the Afterlife, But We're Afraid to Ask. Hollister Rand, it is so wonderful to have you on the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. Well, it is wonderful to be here and to see your shining face again. It has been too long. I know, I know. Uh, It's so good to see you. It's so good to talk to you and people that will be listening to this. I hope you get a lot out of this with my dear friend Hollister, who has helped thousands, literally thousands of people with their healing as their loved ones have passed on and even just bringing a greater context to this thing we call life. So let's just jump into all that. Well, Um, first of all, I'm so glad you mentioned life because the first question that I answer in my book, Everything You Wanted to Know About the Afterlife, is, is there really an afterlife? And I was kind of freaked out that I was asked that question in a public forum because it was a group of people who were metaphysically minded. Mm -hmm. You know, it was on a cruise and it was all of these workshops and metaphysics and I was teaching spirit communication and that question was asked and it caused me to pause. And as I looked out across the audience, I could see the loved ones of people, the loved ones in spirit joining and standing with their people in the audience. And they all said with one voice to me, there is no afterlife. Mm-hmm. There is only life. And I was stunned. So, of course, I shared that answer and then also wrote about it extensively in the book. But that yeah. is really a place to start. That really is a place to start. And you took the words right out of my mouth because I remember that very significantly, and I believe it's in chapter one of your latest book, where you talk about that. And I was on a hike, and I was listening to it via audio at the time, and on your Audible uh, device, and it just just made me take this amazingly deep breath, like, wow, death really is not death. Death is a continuation of another form of what we call life. It's life is life, period. We call it death, but death is just like this doorway to literally another existence. Yes, and the body doesn't go, but we go. Mm -hmm. And also in the book, I talk about what we can bring with us, what we leave behind. Um, Death can be a tremendous healing experience. And it seems as though it's counterintuitive because the body is not healing. You know, the body is dying and yet death itself can bring tremendous healing, Mm -hmm. not only to the, the spirit, but to those who are left behind. There's a tremendous opportunity in the work that I do to make those connections once a person has passed 
and really gets to see their entire life and understands how their life, their actions, their thoughts have affected those they've left behind and how they've loved or how they've wounded sometimes the same people. Hmm. What do you say to people who come to you and tell you that they're afraid of death? Well, one thing that is starting to happen, which is a bit surprising to me, is that people are contacting me before they die. Hmm with the express desire to understand not only the dying experience, but how to communicate with their loved ones once they're gone. Hmm. Um, And this started happening with the advent of medical suicide. You know, people who are terminally ill and choose a date and time for their passing. Um, And when that started happening, I I had to sit with spirit and say, okay, what, what do I even do with this because I hadn't considered myself a death doula. I mean, you know, I wasn't sure what to do. And I thought, well, you know what? Spirit hasn't failed me since. So I am just going to move ahead and be inspired as I speak with people. So, um, and it was not necessarily fear of death, but more, how do I do this well? You know, how do I stay in contact with the people that I love? Mm. I'm hoping that my book will assuage people's fears around death. Um, And I know that the work that I do um, certainly frees people up from the fear that they will not see their loved ones again. Yeah. Because that is really the greater fear, not death but that we are separated eternally from the people we love. Mm. I remember the first time we did a reading and uh, God, it had to be like 10 years ago. And my dad passed about 20 years ago. And I was so terrified of this Lincoln. It was like this um, bronze Lincoln bookend in my bedroom And I swear to God, when the lights would go out, his profile would turn to me and it would make this horrendous, monstrous face that I was convinced was as real as day. And I had this whole thing, even to this day, when I go home to visit my mom, I see that Lincoln bookend and we have a conversation. And I take it and I move it out of the bedroom that I'm going to sleep in when I'm visiting my mother. Even my husband goes, oh, look, hon, there's a Lincoln bookend. Anyway, it's this whole thing that nobody knows about except really my family. And I remember when we were doing a reading, you're laughing and you're saying, you know, your dad's here and he's just, he's just laughing and he keeps saying, Lincoln. Lincoln. (laughs) I was like, you have got to be kidding me. (laughs) And I thought, man, spirits are hilarious. Yes, the spirits are very funny. Mm -hmm. And I I remember, um, because there's a lot of laughter when I do uh, large events. Now, granted, we haven't been able to do large events in a little little bit of a while, but I think that's going to change. Um, And so when I do these large events, we are laughing. The spirits are 
funny. And one of the reasons that the spirits are funny or use humor is because it lightens us up and it makes it easier for them to connect with us directly. Mm -hmm. So this idea of laughter, of joy, is, is really an important component. And I even had someone who came to one of my events say, Hollister, you are such a comedian. We have to like do this comedy show with you. And I said, wait a minute, you misunderstand the whole experience. I, Hollister Rand, am not funny. I am only funny when the spirits are animating me because they are really the funny ones. You're embodying every great stand-up comedian that ever lived. Well, and I have, yes. (laughs) I have met a few of them. Yes, Yes, you have. I I love in your book how you mentioned that, um, and you use a really great example of these two people that were sitting together that I believe have the same first name. And you talk about how it's not all you, that spirit, there is a cooperation effort with spirit and and the event where you're really, for lack of a better word, almost like the median between spirit and that sitter so that they can get the message um, however however it's divinely, perfectly meant to be um, addressed, to be delivered. Can you talk about that? Early on, I knew that this was not the Hollister Rancho. Because there were things happening that were completely out of any control I have. So when I do large events, I don't have ticketed seats. So I do not determine where people sit. People Mm -hmm. choose their own seats. And so what you were talking about um, just now in the question that you were asking is uh, two women chose to sit next to each other. They did not know each other. And in fact, one of them was sitting someplace else. And then when things got started, moved and they ended up sitting next to each other. Well, it turned out they both had the same first name. And not only that, their loved one in spirit had the same first name and they had died in similar ways. And you can't make this stuff up. And now those two people have remained friends. So, um, and they have been able to support each other uh, through their grief. Who can make that happen? I certainly didn't, but they were guided (laughs) to connect with each other. Their loved ones were prompting them to sit with each other. And so what that does is it establishes that this really did happen and that spirit was guiding them and Mm -hmm. it wasn't because of me. Yeah. That's powerful. And it must feel good to get some of that, not to have so much on your shoulders, like, hey, guys, it's not all me. I'm, I'm the intermediary here. I'm the channel. I'm the radio station, if you will. But spirits, spirits really run in the show. And I'm, I'm delivering the message for you. Yeah? It is very freeing. Hmm. Um, and there's trust that I have. Yeah. Right? spirit world that has grown over 25 plus years. Um, I've been connected with spirits all of my life, but I now have a lexicon. I now have a language. I now have a complete and an utter sense that they are present and that nothing occurs on this earth without a spirit component being part of it. Mm -hmm. I love how you mention that 
in your book, you say, I, I decided after being a, if you will, a ghostbuster early on that, and having some pretty crazy experiences. I remember you were sh- sharing, I believe in your book, an experience where you were maybe in a haunted house or a, some building and you had s- etched in your skin, the word rats. Oh, Oof. Yeah, yeah. Just, just even remembering that, yeah. I just get icky. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, and and I I love that you make a point, which I think is very um, reassuring for people, especially people that are a little reticent to step into something like this and have an experience. That you make a very concerted effort, a decision, a declaration that you are only going to work in the frequency of love. And therefore, those things of the past, they simply do not come in. Not only are they not welcome, they just don't come in. Yeah, they, can't, res- they can't resonate at that frequency. Mm-hmm. So they, and, and I will say this to people in groups or private sessions, that if you have had a difficult relationship with someone, um, and they're now in spirit, If they are able to communicate with me, they come in love. So just know that that is what happens. You mentioned the difference between spirits and ghosts, which I'd love for you to go into. I'll share a little story that experience I had at the Ojai Valley Inn some years ago. It was my first experience, as far as I'm aware, of seeing a fully formed ghost. And (laughs) I was woken up in the middle of the night. It had to be about 2 a.m. My husband, John, was asleep next to me and um, totally passed out. And I, because I could have screamed, but I was just more just frozen in terror that I said nothing. And this man was in this sort of, old turn of the century denim, denim getup, uh, like a worker's suit with boot, boots, a long beard, and some sort of burlapy type bag, like a sack, like a worker's satchel. And he's standing at the edge of my bed, staring at me. And my heart is pounding, and I am in sheer terror. And you came into my consciousness because at some point in one of our conversations, you just dropped the note to declare, to declare to that spirit, demand that they leave or talk to them with your gusto, with get up enough gumption to say, hey, you're not welcome here. And in that moment, as he's standing at the edge of my bed, staring at me, I said, leave. And I got enough energy up inside of me to speak that out. And he spoke back to me, which was astonishing. And he said, I'm just waiting for the train to come. (laughs) And then he turned and left and walked through the door and the energy was gone with him. And then I eventually went back to sleep. Sure enough, we asked the front desk the next day. We tell them the incident. We tell them what happened. They said, oh, you're one of the older rooms. You're in one of the older rooms. And um, yeah, this used to be a glass factory. And there was a train that used to come through that area. There are train tracks that used to be there. And he was, like he said, probably waiting for the train. 
Now, to me, that's a ghost. And this is really two questions. One, is that a ghost or a spirit? To me, it's, it's a, a ghost. ghost. It's a ghost because he's yes, it's he a ghost. doesn't know he's dead, right? Yeah, he may not know he's dead. He's kind of in a loop. Um, right. And so the way I differentiate ghosts and spirit is ghosts are often location-based. Okay. So they are, you know, he's still in the same place he always was. Mm. He may not even see the passage of time. Spirit is non-location-based. So, you know, your father in spirit can be with you and with your mother at the same time. Okay. So that's- We'll get into that later. Right. And another difference between ghosts and spirit um, is that ghosts often have an ax to grind. They're often irritated or something has happened which has locked them in space and time. Um, whereas spirit is really about letting go of the, you know, the travails of this earth, um, and really embracing spirit and embracing higher frequencies. So yeah, there are differences between ghosts and spirits. Okay. At least to my way of thinking. It makes complete and perfect sense. Um, my second question to that experience is, well, A, he spoke back to me, which I've never had that experience before. And, okay, I'm seeing him in my hotel room, and he's dressed in what I can tell clearly is not of this time, right? And uh, fully formed, but misty enough to know that he's not, uh, you know, a human being living in, you know, the 21st century. But my question is, okay, that's what I'm seeing. What is he seeing? Because he responded to me. And is he seeing me sitting on a park bench? Is he seeing me by the train tracks? Is he seeing me in a hotel room on a bed? I Right? Yeah. You know, I really don't know. Um, when I speak with spirits, I know they see us as energy. Okay. So when I'm speaking with a loved one in spirit... Um, they may see their loved one at the age at which they were when they died. So let's say you were 16 when your grandmother died. She has in her mind a picture of you at 16. It kind of reminds me of, you know, my best friend, Barb. Um, She went blind when we were uh, uh, 18 or 19. That's what it was. And, And we were trying to think of upsides, you know, like what's the upside of going blind? And we just got the giggles because all of a sudden she said, guess what? You're never going to get old. You're always going to be 19. (laughs) So she would have this image like the world would never change for her. Hmm. It would always look a certain way. And so I do believe that with ghosts, that's how it looks to them. Whatever that time frame that they are in, it's like a stage set that they see. And so you're kind of a version of someone in that stage set. Mm. And when I used to work with ghosts and do ghost busting, they were sometimes just as surprised to see us as we were seeing them. You know, there was a, a... a, a haunted bedroom. And I remember this little guy showed up and he, he basically said, what are you doing in my bedroom? 
you know, so he didn't realize he was dead and he couldn't understand why there were people sleeping in his bedroom. So it was a, you know, a big upset. So sometimes it takes educating Mm -hmm. and there are mediums who do that. There are rescue mediums. There are mediums who help to move spirits, you know, ghosts from being ghosts to moving into the spirit world. And that is, God bless them all for doing that. I can relate to that. I had a, um, a spiritual teacher, we'll call him a, a guru for short, from India. And he was visiting uh, and staying with me uh, briefly. This was some years ago before I got married. And I was living in an old uh, sort of bungalow uh, in Beverly Hills area adjacent. And uh, these homes were probably built in the 30s maybe the 40s. And a lot of them used to be attached. And then over time, they became detached. They were these bigger homes that became detached. Apparently, mine was one of those. And this very wealthy woman used to own it. Well, I'm living in this one uh, apartment uh, that's been broken up into all these sort of bungalows. And this old woman would wake me up in the middle of the night, standing over my bed, and I'd see her for a split second And at first I thought I was having horrible dreams or nightmares. And then I realized, oh no, there's a woman that's walking around and thinks she's, she's in that loop, as you say. So my spiritual teacher at the time, he walks in and I say, he says, there's a woman here that is trying to put a hex on you. She thinks that you are trying to steal her stuff. And I should add to the story, there were these animals, I lived on the first floor, and there were these animals that would just die on a weekly basis under the floorboards of my home. And the, yeah, the landlord had to come in and somebody had to go down there and get the, the animal out. Well, that's apparently where she had buried her jewels, her rubies her diamonds, whatever she had. She was um, very attached to the stuff of this world. And so when she went, she didn't ascend. And so we had to do, if you will, a, a puja. I wasn't there. He just told me to get about 20 different things from a peacock feather to a pan <laughs> to charcoal to rice to all these random things. But I can tell you, when I came back, the energy was completely different. It was light, and it never happened again. But to your point, yeah, they're in this loop where they don't realize they're dead, and they're seemingly attached to whatever it is that they had that, a, that was their identification. And they're, and they're nursing a grievance. And you know, it's, this is reminding me of a couple of women who came to a small spirit circle that I was doing. So, you know, no more than 10 people in attendance. Everybody gets a message. So it's intimate. And I didn't realize they were sisters because they were sitting, you know, opposite one another in this group. But a man came for both of them, identified himself as father, and he came in like a Hawaiian shirt, shorts, and flip-flops. You know, and he said, you've never seen me dressed like this. I'm now on vacation or something like that. Well, the daughters were laughing and he said, you can get rid of the suits. And one, one sister looked at the other one and said, I told you, you could get rid of the suits. 
Well, the story was that when their father died, they kept his suits. He was always impeccably dressed. You know, cufflinks. I mean, we're talking the whole thing. Mm. And when he died, one of these daughters almost made a museum out of his closet because she thought he loved these suits. He needs me to keep them. I have to keep them in perfect condition. And what he was letting her know is he was no longer attached to that. He, they could let go of those suits. She could have her own closet back. And mm. so that is indeed a difference between a ghost and a spirit. The spirits are not attached to the physical things they left behind, which means if a husband and wife lived in a home for 30 years and the wife after the husband's death feels as though she needs to downsize, get a more manageable life, she can do that without concern or fear of his disapproval or of leaving him behind because Mm -hmm. he's not location-based and he will be with her wherever she chooses to move. Beautiful. Talking about spirit, and I'm thinking of my father. This is a podcast of sharing a lot of personal experiences, I think, as it relates to your work. Um, Well, that's because my work is personal. It it, really is. You know, um, someone once said to me, Hollister, why is it that the spirits don't come to you and give you the meaning of life? And I said, but they do give me the meaning of life in the details of love. So when a spirit provides their name, when they talk about their favorite kind of birthday cake, when they talk about a little thing that happened when you were young or Mm -hmm. something that they remember, they are demonstrating love that stands for eternity, but they're demonstrating it with the little details of our lives Mm -hmm. because that's where true intimacy is with the details of our lives, not the broad strokes. Yes, life really is in the details. My father would take me to uh, St. Bart and we go there. We went there probably half a dozen, at least half a dozen times. Um, After I graduated college, it was my gift. He said, for your college graduation, you know, would you like to go somewhere? Because he wanted to just show me the world. And I said, I would love to just go somewhere where I can speak French and be by a beach. So, of course, I picked one of the ritziest places in the world. But I was so grateful. And and we didn't grow up wealthy. This wasn't, like, um, easy for him. But he wanted to give me the best. And, and he made it happen somehow. And so it would be our father-daughter trip every year. We would go to St. Bart and we'd have a blast. And we would find, uh, we would stay on this one beach called the Bay de Flamande, which to me is just heaven's door. It is this beautiful beach on the island, white sand, calm sea, crystal clear water, you name it. So right before he passed, um, he said to me, just as I was mourning his, his future loss of going, he said, instead of being sad, I want you to think about being on the Bay de Flamande, sitting on the beach, eating your gazpacho, and having a great time. Well, a year after he passed, 
one of my clients to celebrate her birthday wanted to have a retreat uh, and she was deciding between Mexico and St. Bart, if you can believe that. And of course, as the story goes, she chose St. Bart and flew me out with her friends. And it was this amazing week. The day before we got on the plane, I had a dream and my father was in the dream. He was in the sky and I was swimming um, ferociously, if you will, towards the, towards the sand. I'm not sure why. And almost like he wanted to rush me to get me to see what he was so excited to show me. And when I got to the sand, he said, now stand up. And I'm walking down the sand on the, on the beach and I see nothing but a trail of gold coins. Hmm. And he says, now have a great time. The story gets better. So then I tell everyone in the layover at JFK what I had, uh, the dream I had the previous evening. And everyone said, oh, wow, that's so wonderful. All the things you'd expect to hear. Three days into the trip, I hurt my knee and I couldn't really walk. So we had parked the Jeep on this area close to the beach and it was this strip of sand. We're walking back to the Jeep and I see this gold French coin, if you will. And I, for some reason, just walked right past it because I just thought, oh, it's French. It doesn't mean anything because he would always show up with pennies. And then someone said, Diane, did you see this? And I said, yeah, yeah, I saw, I saw that penny or that coin. She said, no, turn around. I turn around and just like my dream, it is a row of coins lined up in the sand. And as you can imagine, everyone was just losing it. Yeah. <laughs> in the I, best way. What a beautiful manifestation from your father. I mean, and you had to have the dream in order for that row of coins to make sense. That's so right. that's, the, that's the other thing I would say to everyone listening here. That's an extraordinary experience, Diane. But it is not, um, you're not the only one with extraordinary experiences. Yes. Because people are reporting similar kinds of things where spirits are letting them know, I am with you, and then really pulling rabbits out of a hat. So when someone is in a session with me and says, you know, is my father giving you any idea how he might let me know he's around? And I'll check, I'll ask. Sometimes I'll, they'll give me a hint, but sometimes they won't. And the reason that spirits won't telegraph always through me what's going to happen is because they really want to make that direct connection with their loved ones. And they have to use the circumstances um, that you're going to be in for having that happen. It had to be a beach. There had to be French coins. They had to be gold. You know what I'm saying? It's like yes. a lot of things had, she had to pick St. Bart's, you know, so a lot of circumstances um, and synchronicities are brought together. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the spirits will use that. And it's exciting every time. It's one of the things that keeps me really excited about spirit communication. Because just when I think I've seen it all, or just when I think I've figured it out, they show me something new. That's right. I love that you mentioned that because I think that's really important. My story is extraordinary to me. It is extraordinary. It's an extraordinary story. You can't make that up. Right. But I'm not special in that this is happening to everyone all the time. If we just maybe tune in a little bit more or let go a little bit more or just soften to know that the presence is here and your loved ones are with you. It's, um, and I don't even know if I want to say tune in more. I mean, it's not like I was tuning in. I was dreaming. Well, but let me say something here. Yeah. People who are spiritually aware and have had lots of experiences, spiritual awakenings, um, connections with spirit. Sometimes the spirits really have to ramp up their game and they have to pull rabbits out of the hat in the most magical ways for us to go, whoa. Mm. Um, and I, I find this with myself. You know, I communicate with spirits all the time. And I was driving to the library to drop off some books. And in my mind, I was asking about the next book that I should write and what the title should be. And it's this book that was published in May. And I I thought, you know, can you just give me a sign? I just want to know that I'm on the right track, that answering people's questions about life after death is the way forward and that it's going to be with this publisher and blah, blah, blah. So I get out of my car. This is the North Hollywood Public Library, okay, in North Hollywood, California. So this is no big fancy library. So I get out of my car and I am swarmed by dragonflies. Now, I've seen a dragonfly here, a dragonfly there. You know, it's, I have never seen a swarm. I didn't know such a thing existed. I was terrified. It was like a mini the birds, you know? I was like, and I grabbed my books, threw them in the, you know, the little bin there and got in my car, fled home and Googled dragonfly swarm. And there is such a thing. But why they were flying at me, you know, in North Hollywood, California, I still can't answer that. Other than that was my confirmation. Because one dragonfly flying by will not capture the attention of a medium. Right. You know, it has to be something so unusual and extraordinary that I I have to almost be a little like, what? Yeah. You know, and, and be like one of my clients you know, where I'm completely gobsmacked by the experience. Right. I can really relate to that. It has to eradicate all sense of doubt. Otherwise, you won't pay attention. That's exactly right. So that's why people who are spiritually aware, more open, more developed, when it comes to their own connections with their loved ones and with their spirits and guides, sometimes what happens is really extraordinary. Mm-hmm. How do you explain when a spirit, when when a person passes, they go into spirit and they'll visit you or you'll see them in your dreams or you'll have experiences or not, but can can they go on and reincarnate and still you can receive experiences from them? We'll take my father for an example. So I've had a lot of experiences 
since he's passed over the 20 years, but they don't come so often. As I'm talking to you, I feel his presence. And I want to, after having so many experiences with him, I'm learning even now to still trust that that's him and not my imagination because it, it's a, it's a sensorial experience. Right. But at what point do they reincarnate if they're going to reincarnate and can they still be here? This is a big one for me. I love this question and I answer it in my book in depth. Yeah. Um, as spirits are in afterlife and as time goes by, they become very acclimated to the frequencies of the afterlife. And there is growth, there is change reaching higher level frequencies. And so their connections with us and their messages can become subtle, you know, mm. more subtle over time. Um, and so I've discovered that. So that's the first piece. The second piece is depending on what part of the world you live in and what sort of the cultural and religious understanding is in that part of the world determines the reincarnation pattern. So um, I have the benefit of having clients from around the world. So this latest book um, is in Japan now. And so I've done some spirit circle with spirit circles with the Japanese. Um, but I remember after my first book, I went to Thailand. And, um, and that was really intriguing, seeing the monks and all of this, you know, and the idea of reincarnation. I have clients in India. So I had a woman from India uh, call me and it, you know, it's not always easy to set up something from India. You know, it's a bit of a, a challenge, time difference, blah, blah, blah. But we finally get together and I hear in my ear, grandfather is here. And so I assume it is grandfather in spirit saying to me, grandfather is here because that's what I hear. And she says, yes, he is. He was born yesterday. Mm. Now, I kind of went, what? And I had to pause. And as I communicated with the spirit in front of me, it was grandfather's brother. It was a great uncle who was there to announce that grandfather had indeed reincarnated. The family knew it. The baby had all the same birthmarks. I mean, they were expecting him to come back to them. Hmm. And he did. Now, when I'm working in Western nations, Western countries, um, and the United States included in that, uh, the spirits will often say, I will wait for you. It almost seems as though reincarnation is a group activity, like a sport, like the whole team is going to reincarnate together, you know? And so what I would say here is the afterlife and reincarnation are not set up for us to miss each other. So we don't have to worry about that. Um, I really think that there's tremendous agreement and there's understanding and we are born into different cultures because of certain needs that our soul may have. So if you want a lot of fast incarnations, then you may be born into a culture that allows for that. If you want to step off the karmic wheel, you may choose to be born in a country where freedom is the primary purpose of the country, religious freedom. Um, which is what the United States was founded on. So that 
how we choose to reincarnate is not time-based. It's much more soul-based and everyone's on board for it. Mm-hmm. It is not a way for us to miss the people that we love. Okay. Beautifully said. Yeah, because time here is, is so different than time in spirit or elsewhere. Just traveling into space, we know how long it takes to go to other galaxies that we know that this time here is so, um, it has its own laws of physics and conditions. So when you pass on, you're dealing with something completely different. What's coming to mind, and this is a pretty, I guess a soul-based question. What's coming to mind is, okay, I believe I've had other lifetimes and my loved ones have say, missed me while they were here on earth or may still be here on earth if I still have loved ones from my previous life. And they're thinking of Grandma Judy in spirit. And maybe that was my past life. Could that part of my soul be visiting them right now as me, Diane, right now talking to you as having this experience? You know, I don't know that. And the reason I don't know that is my work as a medium is based on connecting people with the loved ones that they recognize or the loved ones that they can check out to find on the family tree. Okay. So my work is very specific um, and allowing for tremendous validation. And there may be channelers and gurus who can answer that from their experience, their travels with spirit. But my work is very narrow in the sense that I put people in touch with their loved ones, the ones that they would recognize and the ones that are helping them currently in this incarnation. Mm, Okay, thank you. Do you find as you go through the day that or you've been doing this a very long time, do you still find that as you go through the day, you have to tell spirits to give you a break? (laughs) Well, the good news is I'm pretty much clap on, clap off. Um, And I teach my students how to do that as well. Um, Anyone who is an empath understands what it is to feel, to overfeel, you know, to have a heart that might feel almost like it's being accosted by emotions or you know things that you can't see. So grounding and protection and all of these things that I've taught for so many years and have really worked into my very being are extremely helpful. And my work with the spirits is work of mutual respect. So they understand that, okay, this is spirit time, And this is Hollister personal time with her dogs. Now, it doesn't mean that the spirits aren't present, that I'm not guided, but it's the difference between, you can kind of think of it like this. We all have these cell phones and we remain connected with the people that we love, you know, texting, calling, whatever that is. But let's say you and your husband and your child have breakfast in the morning together, and then you go off your separate ways. Now, granted, that's not happening as much during the pandemic days, but we can imagine how that used to be and and can imagine how it will be again. But we go off and we stay in contact 
via text and all of that. And then we may call each other. We are still connected, but we're not, our energy isn't right in each other's faces. And yet we come back at the end of the day and we are able to be very present with one another again. Spirit communication is very much like that. It, the spirits can ramp up their presence. And so it can become very, very intense. And that's what happens when I communicate with loved ones for a sitter or during events. But for the rest of the time, I sense that I'm connected. I know I'm connected. I'm getting a text message, go this way, call that person, you know, that kind of guidance, but it isn't condensed and, and right in my face. Does that make sense? It does. It does. There's a flow that's present. And like you said, it's not that you are, you're, you're in control. You're saying, hey. I'm open to you now. I'm, and when you're, when you're done, you close up shop and you go about your day and you stay open to whatever is, you're the receiver, but you're not, as you say, being accosted. Exactly. Exactly. And this has been built up over years um, and respect, um, having respect for the spirits mm-hmm. and they're having respect for me. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this experience I had with our son um, I'm hoping you still have the footage <laughs> because I'm, you know, I was thinking about that. I thought we, where is that? The, it might be somewhere. Do you not have it? I think it was, well, it was on an old phone that broke and I thought I had transferred that footage to an old computer and it may very well be on an old laptop that for some reason, maybe it's spirit, is still sitting in my closet and waiting for me to check it out. But I can't find it anywhere. So I, I, will, I will do a search because okay. I was thinking, do I have that footage of Diane's little boy? And if you sent it to me on my phone, I think I've had the same number for forever. Yes. So, um, so I, I think that I will probably be able to track that down. Oh, that'd be so amazing. Oh my goodness. So, so we'll just share with the audience. So what happened was when my son, my son's now 10, when he was about two, not making sentences, you know, gag, gag, goo, goo. Um, he's, what appears to be talking to spirits or a spirit in my kitchen. And he's for most of the time for about five or so minutes standing in front of a doorway, tracking the doorway uh, kind of in a circle, just moving his head around like he's following a fly (laughs) and laughing, laughing, having a great time, having a conversation. And his goobly gooky uh, toddler way. So I felt a presence. I didn't see anything, but somehow I got the um, hit to record this on my phone. So I stood on my chair, on the dining room chair, and started recording it. So I'm recording this. He's talking, he's having a great time. And after a few minutes, I said, Avery, who are you talking to? And before he answered, a voice in my phone said, Ryan, in a very sweet, whispered tone. I did not hear that at the time. 
And then Avery, my son, came up and ran towards his mother and said, Ryan. Well, cut to about a week later, I'm at the hair salon and I play, I'm playing it for my hairdresser saying, hey, check this out. Not knowing that a voice actually came through on the phone and she just dropped everything. <laughs> Her mouth is wide open and she literally looks like she saw a ghost. And she said, did you hear that? And I said, heard what? And she plays it back. And of course you can hear the voice. And you Hollister mentioned, this is one of the greatest pieces of evidence of how children are so close um, to the veil of the other side, to the spirit world, world. And I think you may have even shared it on your um, newsletter, I think at some point. You know, we should be able to track it down. Yeah, I love this for a couple of reasons. One, um, children live in imagination, so they do not understand that certain things are impossible. You know, you think of Alice in Wonderland and the Cheshire Cat and all of this kind of stuff. You know, having something fly around, speak to you, being able to see it, that's not like, oh, that can't happen. So right. there's None of that. And their brain waves are in the space, you know, the predominant brain waves of the young. Put them in that space of imagination, of that kind of, you know, real psychic place. Mm -hmm. um, and then to get direct voice on the recording um, is really, really just a fantastic piece of evidence. What do you think that spirit, do you think that spirit was a boy that had died somewhere in the vicinity or does it matter? What do you think? Or is it just a, a spirit that came to play? Well, what I would say is that imaginary friends of children often are not imaginary friends. Mm -hmm. And in uh, my first book, uh, I'm Not Dead, I'm Different, I talk about a little boy who had an imaginary friend and this imaginary friend would go on school trips to the zoo, would get on the uh, school bus, and it turns out it was actually a child from the school who had died. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it can be related um, to an area or a place, but it really can also be a spirit that is kind of, you know, oh, look at this. Someone to play with. Isn't this delightful? Someone who sees me. Yes. And it makes me think of spirit circles that I would sit in, development circles with other mediums. And we would um, work to communicate with spirit and develop our abilities. Um, so we'd be sitting there in the dark and we'd have spirits come. And I remember I said to one spirit, um, so why are you here? Thinking there had to be a reason. He said, well, I saw the light and I thought I would stop in and say hello. I mean, it was as simple as that, that, you know, when you are connecting. And so Avery was lit up. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It was like, it was like he was a taxi cab, you know, with the, with the on air thing, you know, yeah. uh, and, and this, and this spirit went, Oh, how fun. And that could very, very well be what it was that simple. And it was, it, it was a delightful pleasant, joyful, almost celebratory moment, just laughing like he was in 
ditches. <laughs> yes. Well, kids in spirit are often joy guides. Mm. And so when a woman has lost multiple pregnancies, I will, I remember there was a lady who came to a spirit circle and I thought that perhaps she had been a teacher in like a nursery school because there were all of these child spirits with her. I thought, what on earth happened? Well, it turns out that she had lost a number of children. They, they just had not come to the full nine months. They just hadn't made it. But they showed up and they said, you know, joy, joy, joy. And I thought, are they all named joy? And she said, oh, I call them my joys. Oh, how beautiful. And then they said, and this one, we, this one will make it. And it turns out she was pregnant again. Oh. And she did indeed carry the baby to term. And, uh, and it was a little boy. And they said it was a little boy. So, but they are joy guides. And mm -hmm. so it doesn't surprise me that Avery was acting in that way. Oh, I love that you brought that up about miscarriages because, um, thanks to you, I think about the miscarriage I had. And I, when people say, how many children do you have? I have to stop and think and I have to say, oh, well, I have one here on earth and I have one in spirit. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I remember right before I had a miscarriage, I thought I was again having a dream, a bad dream. And uh, we were trying to decide what to call her and it was going to be Avalon or Grace. And she said, Mom, call me Grace, but I can't stay. I have mm. to go back. I'm going to be able to do a lot more up there and be of like better use. And she said, I'll see you soon enough. And then I went to the bathroom and there it was, you know, and I had my experience. And of course, it was emotional and devastating as it is for most women. Um, but it was such, I'm so grateful for that experience because um, it reminded me of what you said, how it's like they're still with you. And I, and I feel her with me, as you say, these spirit babies, as this almost like this um, little Tinkerbell hanging around, floating around and doing whatever she's doing in the other realms. But I feel like I have one child on the earth and one child in spirit. Yeah. And that's, it's important to mention that, you know, if a pregnancy doesn't come to term, it's not as though that spirit goes, okay, let me go find another mother. Let me go get into another body. Um, in fact, let me be born to uh, my mother's sister. You know, it's not like that. These children remain with us. There is a reason why the, the pregnancy did not come to fruition. And I like to think of um, miscarriage as the, um, the option for the spirit to not move forward with the incarnation. And abortion is the mother's determination not to move forward with the contract of um, incarnation. And so in a sense, they're flip sides of the same coin. Ah. And in either case, the spirit remains with the family because there was an energy that attracted that spirit to the family. 
So they're both a contract, but one is really about the mother and the other is really about the decision of the yeah. spirit. Yeah, both, both decisions, one on spirit side, one on mother's side. And every spirit knows that getting born is a dicey business. Mm-hmm. So every spirit who ventures into the realm of incarnation understands that it may not happen. And I talk about this in my first book, I'm Not Dead, I'm Different, because, you know, there was a time when women were having babies and, you know, three out of 10 would survive, you know, so uh, infant mortality has dropped over the years, but through most of our history, humankind, it's been very high. So spirits understand that it's not a given to be born and have a long incarnation. And some spirits feel very loved in the short time that they are in the womb and that's all that they need. So every spirit gets what is required by an incarnation, no matter how long or how short. And that's an important point because I have spoken with with people who have lost you know, a teenager, a 21-year-old, a 30-year-old, and they'll say, but his whole life was ahead of him. I have never heard a spirit share a regret around time. Mm -hmm. So I will say again, every one of us, every spirit gets what is required by an incarnation, no matter how long or how short. Mm, I love that. You mentioned in your book about suicide, and I just wanted to bring this topic up, and it is a heated one of four obvious reasons. But in many uh, spiritual um, schools, I should say, schools of thought, I've often heard that when someone commits suicide, the, the understanding is that, well, because they took their own life, they are going to have to come back and it's going to be way harder the next time because they didn't hang around to endure their path, whatever their stuff was in this lifetime to complete. And because they took their life upon themselves, that their life in the next round is going to be really a lot more gnarly, shall we say, than this past one. There's a damning to it. There's a um, um, there's insult to the injury. <laughs> and can you talk a bit about what your experience is, which you go into detail again in your book? And I think it's really worthy of mention. Well, I have a personal connection with suicide. So it's a very personal subject to me. My cousin Tommy killed himself in a very public way when he was 19 years old. And I wasn't much older than he at the time. And it devastated our family. And it was also on Thanksgiving Eve. So, you know, it kind of ruined a holiday forever in the family. And so my grappling with suicide um, was a personal one. It was an emotional one. And my deal with the spirit, I was, I was trying to make a deal with the spirits. Yeah, you can, you can bring me whoever you want, except people who have committed suicide. Well, as soon as I said that, all 
started happening were people who had passed with suicide. I'm like, what the heck? Well, it turned out that my cousin Tommy came through another medium, by the way, and mentioned that he had been bringing people who have passed with suicide so that I could be healed and so that I could bring healing to others. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think of a woman who showed up at my office. I used to have an office in Sherman Oaks and I opened up the door. There she was. She said, I'm here to speak with my son. He committed suicide. Now, as a medium, I don't want to know why people are coming to me. I want the spirits to show up and give me the information, not the client. So I, I looked at her and I said, oh, oh, okay. I said, there's not necessarily a guarantee. We'll do our best here. But, you know, why is it other than that? Why are, why are you here? She said, well, I, my, um, my priest told me that I would be separated from my son forever. Hmm. He said, so I'm here to get a second opinion. Oh. And I realized at that moment that this mother could not conceive of a God who loved her son less than she did mm. because she was not willing to condemn him. She understood the pain that he was in on this earth plane. And what every suicide finds out is that death is not a get out of pain free card. It really is an opportunity to deal with it head on. And the best gift that we can give to those who pass with suicide is our unconditional love, our ability to love them no matter how they chose to die. Because what that does is it sets up the energy of love for them to look at their lives and look at the choice they made. It is shocking to me when I speak with spirits who seem so surprised that they're missed, you know, and so surprised that people are grieving for them because there's such a tunnel vision sometimes at the end of life with a suicide that their pain is so great that they cannot see beyond it. There seems to be no other solution and they often think the world and the people in it is better without them here. Well, in love, what can happen is they can shift, heal, change. And so therefore they can step off that karmic wheel of punishment. They can learn love. They can learn self-love. And the most exciting thing about this is I, I once had a young man say to me, mom, meaning his mother, mom, everything you ever said to me, all the love you gave me, I was able to open it here like a gift. And this mother wept because she thought her words and her love didn't matter because it wasn't able to keep him here on the earth plane. But love is something that transcends death. And the love of this mother for her son enabled him to step off the karmic wheel to finally feel loved. So what I will say is no act in love that we offer another human being, no matter how they die, um, is lost. Mm. Everything we do in love stands forever. It stands for eternity. 
extraordinary reframe there, Hollister. Thank you for that. Before your sessions, you mentioned how you always ask for spirit to teach you something new. What is the latest revelation that you have um, discovered that they have shown you or told you? Well, first of all, I have to say I'm unusual, I guess, um, as a medium to ask that. Um, what I've discovered as I teach other mediums in my classes is often people get, find out what works with them with spirit and kind of get locked in. And I really do believe that in order to be the best medium we can possibly be, the idea is to embrace the new. Like, show me something. You know, let's all be amateurs and not be experts. You know, let's go with the enthusiasm of let's, let's be available to something new. Well, look at it this way. We are now in the middle of a pandemic. Right. And what I have seen is the spirits. Um, and oddly enough, I met one of the own, my own spirits in my family tree for the first time. I have um, an uncle named Emil that I did not know about, but Emil died in the 1918 flu pandemic. Oh, wow. Okay. And he has shown up in my life. And I really do think that Emil has been helping me. Um, and he was married for two years when he died. Um, and he died in the second uh, wave of the flu. So he got through the first wave and died in the second wave after two years of marriage. So, um, so that was very hard on the family, but no one in the family had ever mentioned this man before. And yet here he is now. So my father goes, yeah, you know, drops into the conversation one day. Yeah, you know, your uncle Emil. What? Why? So here is Emil. So what I would say is the people who died in 1918, you know, and I think that there were 14 million people. I could be wrong about, you know, the number, but millions and millions of people died in that flu pandemic and they are all here helping us. Mm. And some of those people may even be reincarnated and going through this again for whatever reason. Wow. So there could be a choice that some have made uh, to learn or go through a similar experience, but they're here to help us. And so one of the new things that I have learned is that just as suicide and just as every death that we experience is personal. And this came home to me with Emil, who I never even knew about. You know, it would be easy to say flu pandemic and he can be one of 14 million. But you know what? He's not. He's in my family. He's my uncle. He was married for two years. He thought he was scot-free and then he was not. He was dead. And now he's here to help us. Holy cow. So, of course, I had to ask Emil, are you going to help me connect with people's loved ones who have passed in the middle of this COVID pandemic. It can't possibly be a mistake that my book published by Beyond Words and Simon and & Schuster would come out in May in the middle of a pandemic. How is that possible? Who would think of that timing? It had to be spirit. And so I am finding that I am communicating with those who have passed with COVID 
or have been COVID positive at the time of their passing. And I had a small spirit circle in which a woman lost both her biological father and her stepfather, and they both showed up. And her mother, who was also part of the spirit circle, had lost her former husband and her current husband in the middle of this pandemic. Wow. But the way these two men described their experience was completely different because no death is the same. So the spirits do not say COVID to me, which is a surprise. What they do talk about is the experience of their death and the pain that their death has left behind and how they have chosen to connect with those they love with love. And they do not let the anxiety, the pain and the grievance and the horror of the word COVID to stand between them and their loved ones. That's a really, really important point because I really see how that word COVID and this experience is so unique for each and every person with their nervous system, with their unique circumstances, with their unique perception, that how each person interprets even just the word COVID is going to either bring up a very intense charge that can create separation in and of itself, just thinking about it, or it can bring up a whole other experience. And the fact that you're getting these messages from spirit where they're saying, we're not even going to go there because it serves nothing. It does not serve the connection and the connection is where it's all about. And that's really the heart of your work is connection and the heart of spirit's work is connection. And maybe we could just end on that really great golden nugget (laughs) that it's really about connection and um, how we're really all connected. Even when we die, it's another form of life and it's another form of connection. And how we die, it matters not. Is that, would you say that's accurate? I would say that's accurate. It's experience like any other. Mm. And so what it really comes down to is connection in love. Simple, profound truth. Love. Yeah. Hollister, thank you so much for this wonderful experience just sitting with you and receiving all this information and insight And I have to say, um, before we started this, I had a really bad headache because I felt (laughs) spirit's presence and I grounded and I feel so good now. And I feel so in that space of the connection that you speak of. And it is just, it's all an opportunity and it's all a blessing. And I thank you for being part of that blessing. Well, I am delighted. I'm delighted to be here. And it's just so good seeing you again. So thanks so much for asking me to be You're here with so you today. welcome. And just before you go, where can we get your book? The book is available anywhere where books are sold. Um, but Amazon, Barnes & Noble seem to be the go-to places right now for people. You got it. And if we want to find you, we'll go to HollisterRand.com. Exactly. Thank you so much. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. 
If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com. <laughs>